Welcome to the Rough Road Podcast. I'm your host, Lee Steele. Today, my guest is Tim Warnock. Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Tim Warnock. I um, uh, am a father of a child who has passed by suicide. Um, and that's, uh, you know, that's the obviously the biggest traumatic event I've had in my life. I've had other traumas throughout my life, but by far nothing, nothing on the level of finding my son um, after having taken his life. Um, and uh, Did these previous events that you had, did they kind of prepare you for this or? In some ways, yeah. Um, there's no way you can prepare for it though right but it it i feel like the previous traumas did help in the aftermath the it it, i think it helped me get to a point and i'm still i mean obviously i'm still working through this this event happened just uh, just shy of two years ago um, this October 17th will be two years um, that it's been since he passed. But, um, you know, those previous traumas, I feel like, helped get me a, a, a little quicker to uh, uh, a solid point to then start trying to handle and, and get a grip on um, the enormity of of the trauma of losing him, right. and and everything that surrounded that, um, and that still surrounds it. I mean, right. you know, it's a work of, in progress, right? It it really is. It it really is. And I, you know, in my naivete, um, you know, because my previous traumas were, you know. In eighth grade, I, I was alone with, I was responsible for watching after my grandfather while everybody went to the store for something. And I ended up watching him pass away in front of me. And as an eighth grade boy, that was just, you know, it was so traumatic and I felt responsible. Right. And, you know, all you of those. You probably thought that you, that was going to be the worst thing that ever happened to you, probably. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And up until, you know, I, because I, I, you don't see it coming. Right. Um, you know, a person's suicide, even if you know that they're struggling and, you know, they're in the depths of depression and, and they're they're struggling with their own battles. You never know this is the night, you know, right. this when we went to bed that night, it, it was a heavy atmosphere in the house. But there was no. No, like in, no indicators saying that this is the night or anything like that. Yeah, I mean, it was just okay. We're still in this struggle that we, you know, in hindsight now, I can tell you specifically what I feel when I feel he made his decision that that was going to be the night. Right. Um, but when you're in the thick of it, you I'm sure just you had don't other see nights it. that you thought, oh, it's probably just like you know yeah, Wednesday yeah. night or you know mm-hmm. just like last week when it was a rough night or something. Yeah. Like that. You know, like, okay, we're having another rough evening. He'll get through right. this. We're going to keep working, you know, that sort of thing. But those previous traumas, I think, just helped on the on the other side of it. I, I think that experience of having something really bad happen and um, 
and then managing to get through it. And, and you know, one of the things that I felt as I, I think about um, PTSD and, and, you know, having listened to a small segment of your, your story and, and just the difficulty of that and, and interact. I have a dear friend, one of my college teammates who went to combat in Afghanistan. He did uh, two or three tours. He's won two silver stars. Um, he struggled with PTSD cause he had some serious combat right. um, things. And for those that don't know that the silver star is like the third highest award you can get in, in the military. Yeah. So and, and he earned two of them. It's uh, a different tours. Right. You know? and so it, and that's, that's a pretty serious award you can get. You got to do something pretty heroic to get that. So, yeah. And I, you know, I won't tell his story cause it's not right. my story to tell, but, um, he was so helpful. I, I would say that he was probably the most helpful person when the counselor said to me, you have PTSD. Cause at the time I thought, what I, you know, that's right. for like my friend, that's for you people know? that have been to war. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and so I was like, I do not want to defile what he went through with what I'm dealing with. Right. And you know, when I talked to him, Cause I was, you know, I still, to this day, I cry every day. I mean, right. I, you know, I'm not ashamed to admit that, that, you know, typically on my drive home, I fall apart cause I know he's not going to be there. Right. Um, and, and, you know, it's just a difficult thing to deal with, but at the, t- you know, I didn't want to admit that just because out of naivete, okay, this is PTSD. Right. And it may not be a war related thing or um, something to that degree, but it's still a trauma. And, you know, one of the things I've thought and talked with my wife about is that, you know, um, one person's drama might be another person's trauma. Right. You know, um, I I really, because my son had traumas and he, um, I really felt like when a trauma when a trauma hits you, I feel like it is also not only the I, I, I think of it like on a, a volume, you know, war being, you know, these amps go to eleven 10, sort of right? thing. Yeah, yeah. Go, right? And you know, Mine might be somewhere like seven or eight or something like that. But, you know, I'm a grown adult. I, like I said, I've had smaller traumas throughout my life that helped prepare me. But, had, you know, the younger you are when you endure, when you embrace a significant trauma, it really magnifies how you're going to be able to handle that. You know, um, for instance, one of the, the counselor that identified me as having PTSD, when I spoke with him about my friend, my, you know, my college teammate who has dealt with it from his military background, his comment was, you know, because our veterans have a really right. high suicide rate. Very high, right. Um, it's, it's astronomical. Um, yeah, in my opinion, it's one of the great undiscuss. You know, we don't discuss it enough. Right. Um, 
you know, what he told me is that when they look at the, the veterans who have endured the trauma of war, their survivability rate, because some, some, some soldiers survive on, they manage to be able to deal with it and, and get a grip on it while others right. don't. And he said one of the, just one of the factors was that the rate of suicides for veterans who had traumas earlier in life as young children, their rate of survivability from the trauma that they dealt with at war was dramatically reduced if they had that trauma earlier on in life than someone who this was the first major trauma that they had endured. So, for instance, if a soldier um, dealt with PTSD in battle, but he had also had to deal with, let's say, child abuse or, you know, um, some traumatic event early in their childhood, that that trauma hindered their, it, it just, it was like a re hashing it, it just brought it exactly that's the that's best way to say it because uh, i'm trying to get a grip right because that may sound counter to what i was saying before you know like my trauma of watching my grandfather pass away and feeling like that was my fault and and all of that he was sickly so in the wake of that the support i had with my family and and my teachers at school and my coaches, their support of me at that time, when I, you know, I was in eighth grade, I was a young kid. Right. Um, their support and their counsel, their, the time that they spent with me counseling me to say, to put it in perspective, you know, he was an old man, he had ailments, this right. wasn't your fault, this was inevitable, it just happened to be while, you're watching while you were there. You know, that helped me. It, it, so on the volume, that their counsel and their support helped dial down that volume. And, and in high, you know, in retrospect, as hard as it, because I'm still struggling with my son's death was my fault. Right. Failed as a father. You know, I sh the, all the I shoulda, woulda, couldas. Yep. All of that stuff. I'm very familiar with that game. Oh, it's it's horrible. <laughs> It could really take you to a dark yep. place, and and there are times that I'm in that place, you know, yep. sobbing hysterically and just like those feelings of what's the point? I you know that blame game that you play with yourself, that self hate that you that you pull on yourself, the all those things um, that you do that you play that that are just self. Uh, it just it just brings you down when. I, you know, it's hard to, you know, every, everybody on the outside looking in sees you and sees you doing this to yourself and, and they scratch their head and say, why are you doing this? It doesn't make any sense. It's not your fault. You know, mm -hmm. you know, with, with my situation, it, you know, it's different than yours, but with my situation, they go, you know, he, he came out in front of you. We, it wasn't your fault. You hit him, you know, mm -hmm. it, it, and, and, you know. And, you know, someone may say to you, it wasn't your fault. He made the choice, you know. He decided to, to take his own life. It's not your fault, you know. But that's hard as an individual dealing with it, at least mm -hmm. from my perspective in my situation. It's hard for me to deal with it because I sit there and go, well, 
I still feel responsible. Yeah, yeah. I, I would imagine. That, I played that game for years, mm. three, four, five years, and it nearly destroyed me. <laughs> oh, yeah. Because it's that question, I think. I think where the similarity may may rest is that, that internal question of, you know, like for me, I replay his whole life with us, you know, like, and it, and it, like you mentioned it from the outside, it sounds ridiculous to, to in your mind be going, Oh, you know what? I shouldn't have grounded him when he was eight <laughs> or, you know, like, Oh, I, I, had I played more video games with him or something, right. you know, which, from the outside, if I would have just gave him one extra hug this night, or you know, it, exactly, something crazy. exactly. <clears throat> but you know, it's such a traumatic event, and and where I think the similarity is is that question. Like I would imagine, from your perspective, you know, trying to think from how I feel like I would be if I was dealing with the same trauma that you were. I, I'm sure the questions were like, well, maybe was I going too fast? Did nope. I not? You know, I mean, never, all never those once questions. did I question whether I was going too fast because it was okay. it was rush hour. It, I was you know speed limit sixty five. I was going thirty five forty, yeah. right? So never once was that the question. But the question was, well, could have I could have I gotten over further in my lane? Yeah, no, yeah, I was yeah. on the dotted line. Okay, could have I maybe switched lanes? No, there was cars all around me. You know, and so <clears throat> I think to myself, well, maybe if I because. I'm the type of individual that I never push the snooze button ever. I'm one of those people. I'm just like today. I'm 15 minutes early. I'm one of those guys. I, yep. I don't show up late. I show up early. Mm -hmm. That's the kind of guy I am. Um, <laughs> if I would if I would have pushed the snooze button that morning, I wouldn't have been there. So I wouldn't have hit him. But then, but then I play the game with myself of, well, if I wasn't there, then I'm really making someone else hit him because he still would have been there. Yeah. And then he still would have went out in the lane. And then. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't have been there, but somebody else would have because it was bumper to bumper. So someone else would have been where I was. And so then I'm saying I'm making someone else do my job, do yeah. what I what I was going to do. And then then what am I? Then I'm making someone else this killer that I look at myself as. Right. Or that I, you know, and so it's just this vicious cycle that you go round and round in. I love that you say that because, um, you know, <sighs> I mean, you know, you could really take uh, – this is such a a massive subject and has so many tentacles or, or, right. or you know, to that is attached it's to it. It's the biggest octopus you've ever thought of. Oh, yeah. And you could really, <laughs> like, to go into a spiritual questioning, like, was this God's plan? You know, all, no. all of that sort of a thing. I'm going to go right now and say no, it wasn't. <laughs> Well, for I us, can't, I can't believe that. And the reason I can't believe that is um, I don't think that it's God's plan to kill anyone. Oh, no, 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 no. But I mean, like, well, okay. Because <laughs> sometimes we think, um, because we have all of that, like, we could have done this, we could have done that. Right. But then... Um, like we have friends from the outside who have been close with us ever since we foster adopted him where they were like, you were the one you were meant for him, right? He was meant for you. And that's how we felt about it. When we foster adopted him, hmm. you know, he was in the crisis center here in East Mesa when we first met him. And, you know, we were, 
we were looking to adopt. We felt like that was what God's plan was for us. And um, we, through a mutual work acquaintance from my wife's school, we found out it was actually her grandson that he was in this crisis center. And so we found this out like on a Monday morning. Um, and uh, both of us being teachers and having been fingerprinted and everything, um, at that time, you know, the, the shelters were just, the state has thousands of kids who are in need of adoption. Right. And so um, they kind of <clears throat> fast-tracked us. They came to our house on, I believe it was a Wednesday, and did the inspection, did our interview, and that sort of thing. Because we showed interest. We said, you know what, we'll foster this child. You know, We're not foster certified, but we're teachers. Da, da, da. So they fast-tracked us. Um, but we – so they came Wednesday and, and looked at our house and then um, left and like 20 minutes later said, hey, would you like to meet him? So obviously we're like, heck yeah. So we went to the crisis shelter. I fell in love with him immediately. I mean, you know, his little buzz cut. He was two years and eight months old. Um, had been through the ringer big time. Um, you know, classic story. His birth mom was struggling with addiction and, you know, um, a lot with that. Uh, you know, neglect and all sorts of things. So, you know, we just really felt like, okay, we're both teachers. We both have that compassionate, love kids approach to life. This is why we didn't get pregnant on our own. You know, this we right. were meant for him. This is part of God's plan. And so when we, when this, when Mitch passed and he was 18, you know, he was just past his 18th birthday. Um, was he graduated? No, he was still in high school, which in terms of that part of it plays his own trauma and his own struggles. Um, and, in, and in, you know, I don't want this, this is about PTSD. It's not about suicide, but the two are interrelated pretty right. intimately. And one um, leads to the other a lot of the time. Yeah. Um, and, and nobody, nobody ends their, in my opinion, Nobody ends their life without there being multiple factors and trauma being one of them. Right. Um, you know, it's it's not like somebody who's and when I say doing well, I don't mean academically. I don't mean their bank account is fat because suicide affects suicide and PTSD affect everybody. Doesn't no matter. Respecter of persons, right? Yeah, yeah. There's no race. There's no <laughs> socioeconomic. It's there's no religion spared from it. Um, but there, you know, there's multiple factors, and and so anyway, he was a senior in high school. Um, he uh, was a phenomenal kid. Outwardly, he he had everything going for him. He was one of the top pole vaulters in the nation for high schoolers. Oh, wow. He had all sorts of college scholarships, um, you know, on the table. Uh, and that was one of the difficult things, you know. Had everything looking up for him. On the outside, yeah. Right. But he was really struggling. And, you know, um, 
you know, he had his traumas early on in his life with neglect and, and everything that surrounds being an infant and toddler in the care of someone who is suffering from addictions, you know. Um, and so he had all those traumas. We did so much work through his whole life with counseling and just, you know, when he first came to us, he slept in our bed. He, he was two years and eight months, like I said. He slept in our bed with us for a good year and a half to probably two years. Sounds exactly like my son. Yeah, I and, and we never, you know, because in the middle of the night. <laughs> that doesn't sound un abnormal at all. That's exactly what my oldest son did. <laughs> yeah, and I, you know, like we were okay with that because we right. knew that he had this massive fear from that trauma. I shouldn't even say it's a fear because that makes it almost sound like a boogeyman thing. This right. was from trauma of waking up as a one-year-old and nobody's there. Right. You know, um, and um, so anyway, he slept in our bed for probably two years before he decided, you know, like, yeah, I'd like my own room. And we transitioned him to his own room and all of that. But so he had those those traumas early on. And then what would seem like just a minor trauma. That's why I referred to that one man's trauma is another, you know, one man's drama is another man's, trauma, is, another right? man's trauma, is that, you know, um, I think everybody has that teacher or counselor that says something that's really hurtful to you at right. some point in your schooling. And he had a meeting with his junior year counselor and we had advocated. I mean, we were engaged parents that were advocating uh, for him all the way through his schooling. And they were so dismissive, the counseling. And, and I hate to say this because I'm an educator. I mean, these are my colleagues that I'm talking about here, um, not here at the school, school I but, work at, yeah. but just at the school he went to. They're educators like you are, correct? Yes, yes, my profession, I guess, would be the better way to say that. But, um, you know, we showed them the file. He had a 504, which is an accommodations, a legal document to, to accommodate for kids with, he had anxiety, he had depression, right. all, you know, all these things that tentacled out from his early years trauma and they were just dismissive of it um you know to to even roll their eyes directly to us roll our roll their eyes and go wow oh, he's had an interesting life that kind of dismissiveness and you know those those hurt to him now because it re-traumatized him in a way of Okay, am I just was this a trivial thing? Am I, you know? But anyway, the his junior year um, in January, I think it was January, early February, they had a meeting, and she just looked strictly at his grade point average, which was like a two point eight, I believe, at the time. It's not, you know, I mean, not what he was capable of, but. He wasn't flunking out either. Right. You know, um, and she just flat out said to him, oh, you're not college material. And it crushed him because he had that attachment issue. He had those self-doubts of why didn't my birth mom love me? They weren't even cognitive thoughts. They were woven in from the trauma. Right. And um, so anyway, 
we didn't know that that was he came home that night just every muscle was tense he was in a state of mind that was in a, a, a just a pan not a panic I, I, I can't even describe it it was just a crazy mindset and energy level that he was pacing the house back and forth I'm not going to get into college. Da, da, da. And of course, we're educators. We're like, what are you kidding me? You're a phenomenal pole vaulter. You've got good grades. You know, like, oh, you know, because one of the things she said to him, you're, you're not in the top 50% of your high school. Was well, high school, they had his class had like 17 kids with a bu- above 4.0 average. I mean, this is Intel kids, science kids, you know. Right just extremely highly academic high school had we moved and this is one of those you know like we should have could have would have things had we withdrew him and transferred him out of that school and put him into the high school where my wife worked he would have been in the top 15 percent of that student population oh wow so it's you know hindsight's 2020 though Oh, I, yeah, and it's... But, but who knows, if you would have done that, who knows if it, anything would have changed? Well, we were trapped in that, you know, you know, you and have who, kids, and, and you who, know how hard who, parenting is. Right, and you, and you know, who knows, who knows how he would have accepted that, mm-hmm. that change, right? I'm leaving all my friends, how That's could exactly, you do this to me, you know? <laughs> that is exactly the conversation we had. But we at that time, you know, that night he was pacing back and forth and he goes, oh, you know, and he's right. What was he? 17. Yeah, he was 17 at that time. And, you know, you probably remember being 17. Your parents don't know anything. You know, you're ready for the world and and all this. And so the second I turned 19, I realized they knew everything and I knew nothing. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) But when you're that age, that's why those teachers and, and the school personnel are so critically important because right. they're that they're that safety net for the well-being of that kid. So anyway, he, you know, the only other night, we told him that night, like, get in the car. We'll drive down to ASU, and you can see how many morons got into there. You know, no offense to ASU, right. but. Or any college. Yeah, like, any college you know you're going to get in. Here's the, here's the honest truth of the whole thing. God, honest truth of the whole thing. If you're good at sports, they're going to take you because that's what keeps the doors open at the college. Well, and you'll find you'll find some, there's so many universities in this nation. You will find a place that will let you in. Right. But then you got to you got to maintain that you're going to be there. You know, like you can't flunk every class and right. expect to go. But he but he wasn't flunking every class. He was doing no. he was doing OK. Yeah. He still would have done OK at college. Yeah. And he was great at pole vaulting. So mm-hmm. we, you know, it, 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 so that night. She really did him a disjustice. Oh, I can't even begin to tell you. I, I Did you I guys go light her up? Um, I haven't. Uh, I was going to, but my wife and we, and we were approached from some, some of the top ter- attorneys in the state about suing the district because there was other things that factored in that that one of the parents 
that was in, you know, because Laura, my, because my wife, Lori and I are, have been educators for a long time in this, in this, in the East Valley. And, um, and I've coached extensively. Um, we, a lot of people knew who we were. Right. And because my son was so successful within the track family that exists out here, which is a big group of people, and he conducted I'm 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 I will I'm forever proud of how he conducted himself. He always was there to help. I, I can't even tell you how many stories that was helpful with the trauma of it afterwards. We got so much support. Um from the three different circles of of our social circles right. you know his circle my circle my wife's circle of of connection we got so much support and so many people reached out to tell us stories that we didn't know your son did this for my daughter or your son did this for my son you know um i had a neighbor that told me you know that her husband had fought an elderly couple um he had fallen and my son got home from school and saw him laying in the in the driveway and stayed with him until his family could get to i mean he just did all these things that we were unaware of that he did until after he had passed away that were just top quality the kind of guy you would want to be around right you know could trust him was loyal to a fault, you know, compassionate. Um, that just and, says a lot about his family, though, a lot about how he was brought up. So well, that really reflects on you and your, your wife. So, Well, that's nice to say. Yeah. Oh, it is. I mean. I, yeah, but, you know, he really you, the had, kid, Your kids reflect how they're taught, right? I mean, yeah. how they're brought up. So but he had it's an a innate, reflection on you and your wife is all it is. So. Well, I think, and and I'll don't dis, don't discount your <laughs> don't discount your involvement in in his upbringing. Well, I I won't, but I but he had something beyond what we gave him. He I I really think from his trauma, he also had this innate sense of what was compassionate and what wasn't, and he was always ready to defend a vulnerable kid or a a, a vulnerable person. I mean, even in... uh, I'm sure that you and your wife taught him that also and made that important to him. Well, we, yeah, we've, we've talked about that, but he had that before. But you really, I'm sure you reinforced it. it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, but don't discount your involvement (laughs) in that. No, we're, I'm sure that he had that thread going through him as well, but you reinforced it. So, yeah, you can you can take credit for that also, and it's okay, <laughs> and that's not you being prideful. It's it's uh, yeah. He was a good he, kid, you know. Oh, he was a phenomenal. I young wish I man. knew him. I wish I could have met him. Oh, uh, for everything I've heard about him from our mutual friend, top-notch kid. So he was incredible, and that's why you know um, we were so angry that that counselor was so callous and heartless. Mm-hmm. And just focused on academic numbers instead of the whole picture of a child. I just, as an educator and as a human being, I've never believed in being um, so callous and heartless to tell any human being, you can't, whatever. You know, we may have to have a conversation of 
if that's what you want to do, we need to work here's a the harder, road right? that you're going to have to, and here's some hurdles you're going to have to cover. And, you know, and even like here's some behaviors you're going to have to change. Right. But to just say you're not. And it's impossible. To, you can't do it. That You never want to tell anybody that, right? Especially a child. And that's the one thing that, you know, he was 18, but he was still a kid. Right. You know. Um, well, he was 17 at the time, right? 17 at the time of that meeting. Now, I only know that that was the watershed moment because of hindsight. At the time that night, like I said, he was super stressed, muscles tensed, pacing the house, and and we got through that night. And you know, over the next the course of the next week, he seemed to calm down about that. And at the time, without the hindsight, we thought he got through it. He's focused. Right. He's okay. He's accepted that he's going to get into college and and all of this. Um, was he a junior at the time? He was a junior, and they were lying to him with these. And and I think this might be a common practice amongst certain schools, not all, but certain schools. I think there there is a practice where they lie to the kids, and give these outrageously unrealistic and false markers that they have to meet to increase their test scores to make their school look better. For instance, he, he came home that night saying that to get into ASU, he had to be in the top 25% of his class. I think it was 25%. Um, he had to have this extremely high um, SAT score and that he had to have a 3.8 grade point average or better to just get into ASU. All of those things had to, you know, not this or this or that. It was you have to have this and this and and that. And, you know, I I think that's a practice that some school districts might use and some schools might use. To make their school look better. To scare kids into working harder to, you know, it's that... Some people people really misinterpret, in my opinion, what high expectations are and 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 what, you know, because everybody would say, well, yeah, we should all have high expectations. But there also has to be reasonable expectations and honest expectations. And so anyway, fast forward, we get through that week. And at the time, without hindsight, we're like, he's okay. And, and he just went back into athletic mode. This is my interpretation Cause, cause at the time. it's now spring and it's now, it's now track time. We're at the very beginnings of track. He's in his club pole vault program. He's working his tush off, you know, and he just amplified the workout. He was always a hard worker. There was never a time where he wasn't working really hard especially with his athleticism. Um, He was always a hard worker in terms of that. But we distinctly had a conversation that year early in the season because he would, he was a pole vaulter, he was high jumping, he was long jumping, and he was a hurdler. And occasionally he'd be on a relay team. Well, he wouldn't get home for hours after school. We're talking pretty late. And he would get home 
and he would immediately, you know, grab a bite to eat with us because that was our thing. We ate dinner together, um, no matter what time, you know. Right. We ate dinner together all the time, and whether it was a real quick bite, you know, like got to get stuff done and go, but he would immediately go right to the gym after his track workout and we had a conversation early on about you know i'm a coach and i was like hey you're overtraining." and his response was there's no such thing dad you can never overtrain." and you know of course as a coach you want that type of you know you want a commitment like that like right. i'm giving everything i've got to be my best so, you know, there was part of me as a coach, I was like, I love that commitment. Right. But yes, son, there, there is, is such a thing as yep. you've got to get your rest. And he just, at in hindsight, he was just working and, and competing through pain. His shin splints were just, I, it, he was just in so much physical pain from how hard he was working that season. Um, and just committed. I, he was always committed cause he loved it and he wanted, he felt like he had to be the best. Like, um, that was another element for him was, and he felt like he probably could be the best too. Well, yeah, but I really feel from his trauma, I think he, in, in how he dealt with his trauma, I really feel like he felt I have to be the best or else no one's going to think I'm worthy. Mm. including himself i think right and so you know because we had those are we had those conversations almost said arguments but we had those conversations earlier on in his athletic career where i would say to him hey all i expect is you to do your best if you win or lose as long as you do your best i'm right. going to love you i'm going to be proud of you i you know and and he would reject that he would go dad i don't want to be my best i want to be the best and we would have those conversations about hey that can eat you up you right. know and so anyway i remember having those conversations with my dad mm -hmm. my dad having those same conversations yeah i wouldn't reply the same that he did but i remember having those conversations with my dad and my dad saying the same exact thing i don't care how you play it's just i just want you to do your best yeah and i mean I, he my dad was really rough on me. He'd scream and yell if I didn't, you know, do this or that athletically, you know, at a particular race or event or whatnot. But, and so I was bound determined not to do that, you know, right. from all my training and, and just what I've seen as a coach myself. But he would get mad at me. Mitch would get mad at me and be like, Dad, I want you in my face. I want you screaming at me when I lose. And I'm like, not gonna happen yeah you know not but, worth it not worth it son but in hindsight to get back to the trauma and everything and you know in hindsight that watershed moment with that counselor um that just crushed him because she was so willfully ignorant of his previous traumas and the struggles that he was having she right. was so negligent as a human being that it re-traumatized him in a way that he didn't fully unravel but it was the watershed moment that definitely unsettled his the foundation we had tried to shore up all those years with him right 
through counseling, through just, we were never apart. We were always together as a family. And, and you know, like, not all three of us, you know, like there would be dad-son canoe trips and mom-son trips here. You know, right. we were always together. I have an extended family that always had him welcomed into the fold and supportive and all of that. But he doubled down. His reaction to that watershed moment with that counselor was, I have to. The only way I'm going to get into college now is if I'm the best pole vaulter in the country. And and I say that with 100% confidence because at the end of that season, he finished third at Division One state championship here you know, Arizona. Um, and he was furious. Uh, the only person that beat him was a Naval Academy guy that I believe had one of the, one of the top two or three jumps height clearances in the whole country that year. Just a phenomenal part. Uh, just amazing pole vaulter. He, that kid was a senior. He won. My son and the guy who got second cleared the same height, but because my son came in at a lower height, that that made the tiebreaker. So the other kid got second place because he came in at a higher height later in the competition than my son did. So I don't know. Just that's a technical rule thing hmm. that I thought. Even though they both went the same height. Even though they clear the same height, they do a tiebreaker. Who come? Who came in first at the lower height? And it could, they go to misses, and there's gotcha. a certain order of things to go for a tiebreaker. Right. But he was so furious, and I got mad at him that night. Like, we were in the stands just pumped. He's third in the state. I mean, right. the hundreds and hundreds of kids dream of that, and here he's achieved it. And, you know, and he's my, furious. Yeah, my parents came out from Ohio to, to cheer him on, and... and you know, there's just this, for us in the stands, we're ecstatic. You know, the whole team's ecstatic. He's furious. He, 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 he misses his third jump at the particular height. He storms off, and I see him go completely off the track, and he's, I see him over punching a chain-link fence. And at the time, I get mad. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, that's not how we're going to conduct ourselves. You know, like I'm, I'm in dad mode of like, uh, check yourself with that kind of behavior, right? Behavior. You're like, you know what? You don't grace in winning grace in losing sort of an approach. And, and so what I know now in hindsight is that he just realized he, he wasn't going to go to college. Yeah. His whole world crashed around him. What he double it went right back to that trauma with that counselor. He never got through that. He held on to that and used it as fuel. Right. And when it did, the fuel when didn't, it didn't work. Yeah. And so, you know, he he probably, in fact, overtrained. Oh yeah, absolutely. I know he did. He his shins were, I mean. He was, he would cry at night and he was not a crier. He, you know, um, but anyway, 
I, I say all that because he had his own traumas and he, 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 I'm so proud of everything he accomplished in his life, given that trauma so early in his life. And one of the things that my friends who have been close, you know, we have a, I'm sure you have in your family, people that you refer to as like uncle, but they're not your uncle. They're a family friend, but they're so involved. Well, we had a guy, uncle John, you know, who was, he was involved the whole time, just a constant throughout the day we got, the day he arrived to our home to the day that he passed away. Uh, He's been really helpful with his console for me in, in saying, you know, he's one of these sage guys that just seems to have this depth of knowledge that, and always has the right thing to say at the right time. But he said to me, you know, had he not come to you, he may never have made it even through school. He may never have even, he may have done this as a junior high kid. Right. You, you never know, you know, and, and so like you, was doing before trying to reassure like hey you did good work for him and that's why you know when i mentioned earlier the god thing like well maybe this was part of god's plan you know i because we had a really hard time you know being i i I know you have a pod a previous podcast about the trauma of going through an infertility Mm -hmm. and we kind of we went through that and so part of our trauma with this was, and this was an immediate f- thing within the first 28, you know, 24, gosh, probably within the first hour or so. But it, it, that question of if, the, if God's plan was to bring him into our life and all of the trauma and struggles we had with, you know, trying to have a family of our own and you know, the stressors of that, if all of that was for this, why, you know, you question it, like, and, you know, it may sound, and and maybe it is like, woe is me, but in those moments, so fresh and close to the trauma, that why us, why me, why him, you know, it's so overwhelming. I mean, it's it's so overwhelming, right? And 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 then you start to just, you know, mind's a questioning faith, and it's it's, you know, like, well, maybe you know somebody had told us, well, maybe his journey, he had completed all that God wanted him to complete, you know. I, but the truth is, nobody hard. knows exactly. It's it's <laughs> such a hard thing. And that let, makes it let, hard with Let the me trauma. clarify what I said earlier. Yeah. I don't <clears throat> I don't know whether it was God's plan or not for for you and yours. Yeah. I know for me, for what I believe with my incident, it most definitely was not. Oh, yeah. Um because I don't believe that. I don't believe that for me personally, I don't believe that God is going to make an accident happen. I've actually had people tell me that, "Oh, hey, you know, you and Uh, We'll call him John, the person that I hit and killed. You and John set this up before you came here, and and this was the plan that you were going to hit and kill him. I've actually had people tell me that. Yeah. And I 
look at them and say, you're an idiot <laughs> because that is, that's called murder. Yeah. First yeah. of all, that's like, that's like setting up a murder. Yeah. Right. You're an idiot for telling me that. Yeah. Okay. So that's where I stand. I, I don't think that in my situation, I don't think that that's the case. I don't feel that God, God makes deaths happen. I, I just don't feel that way personally. Yeah, uh, I, and, and I don't know. You can think what you want about that personally. I just don't think he does. Yeah, and um, I, and, that, and that's just my feeling on it. But if you believe that, more power to you. I I just me personally, my faith. I just don't believe that. Well, I I have a questioning faith, and so I, it's not that I necessarily believe that God God's hand came in and said you right. will kill yourself now. I don't right. think that at all. I I just don't think that at all either. But I, you know, people have said so many different things. And like I say, it's a questioning faith. The, the thing about the trauma is that for me, it's so much questioning about everything. Right. Everything comes unraveled. The woulda, shoulda, couldas. Yep. And, and thank God we had so much support. I mean, talk about, I, I, I posted on Facebook and, and the, the, within the first several days of of Mitch having having died I I posted I feel like George Bailey because my house just flooded with people uh, George Bailey the mm-hmm. actor in the movie it's a wonderful life yeah. um, you know at the end of that movie all these people that he had helped just flooded in and right. I I can't say that I've ever really helped anybody but just the grace and being a teacher you've helped tons of kids well the the amount of <laughs> of people who and then your kids help tons of people obviously yeah i mean the, the and i really wish the has news been a teacher f- <laughs> and has helped tons of people so it, the amount you know like mr rogers always look for the in a tragedy always look mm-hmm. for the good people yeah there's so many more good people than there are bad and and I mean, it's not even close. There's way more good people. And our house flooded with people. And one of the things that helped with the trauma to help – let me back up and rephrase that. One of the things that really helped with additional smaller volume tra- traumas in the wake of this big trauma of my son's death, we had a friend who emailed us right away and said – prepare yourself for when because you were going to have we had a celebration of life um as quickly as we could after his passing because his friends were struggling right we knew that the way suicide works is that if you have a suicide the chances of a a follow-up suicide from a friend or something from a friend or something like that or you know close relative something yeah because it's they're already dealing with their own trauma and this adds to it kind of thing. So anyway, this friend wrote to us and said, Hey, my brother died the same way and I want you to be prepared. You have to prepare yourself that people are going to say the most asinine things that are going to be so incredibly hurtful and so incredibly callous, wrong, Mm -hmm. way off base and just prepare yourself for that. And and I'm so thankful that she did because 
Because it happened. Yeah. I mean, it (laughs) happens to you. Everybody that we've talked to, you know, has had those things said to them. I mean, we've had people, you know, I know how you feel. I lost my dogs once. Like, are you kidding me? Losing your dog, that's not the same as losing your son. Yeah. You know, like. I've had two people tell me, oh, I I know how you feel. I ran over an animal once. I'm like, are you kidding me? I, yeah. Like, I ran over a person. Are you really going to compare this to running over now? Yeah. I mean, like, is running over an animal it's not upsetting even close. and traumatic? Right. Yeah, but on that volume meter, right. it's way down here. Compare- I can't imagine. I, I, it was I, like, if the volume goes to 10, it was at 30 for me. Yeah, exactly. And these are people like that I trusted, that I knew, that like I cared about that they cared Mm -hmm. about me and it was very, very hard to, um, to take at the time. And I didn't have someone that came to me and said, Hey, look, some people are going to be idiots saying (laughs) I didn't have that. I, I had, I just had to, Whoa, hold on here. You had to navigate it solo. I, I did. Yeah. I had to hang up on a lot of people and I had to avoid a lot of people because I didn't know any other way to do it. Well, yeah. And, and I, I can't imagine going through what you went through and having to navigate that because, I mean. Hey, man. Like, it, I, my my thing was, yeah, I wasn't dealing with a family member that that died. I, that's not what I was dealing with. Um, it was just my my own trauma that, that I was dealing with. And, and it's totally, it's a totally different experience, right? I can't imagine going through what you went through. It would be, it'd be terrible. I, I don't want to go through it. Um, well, I can, hey, I, can, I don't want to go through what you went right. through either because, that, you know. And that's the way it is, right? We, we, <laughs> we don't want to go through each other's. I would go through mine again in a heartbeat if I didn't have to go through you, you had to go through. Um, <laughs> in a heartbeat, I would. Now, this well, is, I this, is this, this is, is this is going to sound callous, but I would You wouldn't want to, right? I would rather go I'm 8 years <laughs> removed from mine. So it's a little I'm in a different place than you are. Yeah. Um and I in a heartbeat I would. I've learned I've learned so much from my experience and I and I've grown a lot from it and <clears throat> you know, I I see the benefits that that I've got from my experience. Um and you'll get there. I know you don't think you will. <laughs> But but you will. I well, promise we're better you will. off than we were, and we, you know, unfortunately, suicide amongst school age kids is still it's horrendous. Just going gang. I, I had a friend that that killed himself in high school, uh, and it's, it's, it's well, there's terrible. been an eighty one percent increase in the past ten years. We're we're approaching six hundred dead children in the last ten years, and we just went to Deer Valley because one of the things that helping us with tr- with trying to work through this trauma and make sense of it. We really went right into um, advocating for uh, suicide training, you know, mandating that teachers be trained on identifying kids that are at risk and knowing what to do, just like they do with a kid that they suspect might be getting abused at home. Right. You know, with things to look for and then avenues to direct those kids to get the support. Um, you know, that's one of the things that's helping us work through our trauma. Um, but, um, you know, in terms of getting there and, and recognizing that even though it doesn't feel like you're progressing through the tra- trauma, that you actually are, we, Deer Valley has a uh, contagion going on up in their district. And we went up there 
um, to lend support to speak at the board meeting and we didn't have to speak because those parents decided they wanted to um, but watching those parents who were only I think four four or five months out from their child's passing my wife and I both on the drive home were like we're not there anymore right even though it doesn't feel like I said earlier I, I sob hysterically every day right. at some point normally on my way home and or normally when I get home and he's not there and it's even though that still goes on and and I still wake up in the middle of the night and I roam the house and you know sometimes I lay in the gravel where I was doing chest compressions and you know um, even though I'm in still a very I guess dark just heartbroken wake of this trauma there has been progress made, you know, because we could see it in their face like, wow, I remember where I couldn't get through the day. Right. Like I, you know, like at least now I can contain it. I can I can get my mind on things. And, and you know, and that's part. I mean, it, it, there's no easy way to do it. There's no checklist of. Right. You know, all you have to do is abracadabra and it's all good. Right. <laughs> you know, it's such a... It's a lot of hard work. It's a lot of hard work. Right. It's a lot of pain. It's a lot of like, you know what? I am going to hang up on this person. And yep. if they think I'm rude, I don't care. I have to take care of myself. Right. You become um, number one. You and your wife become number one. Mm-hmm. And that's it. And everyone else takes a back seat to what is is important now. So I got a question. So yeah, with you, <laughs> no, no, it's fine. <laughs> so, um, so you look at your situation now and sometimes you, from what I understand, you look at your situation now and you, and you think, man, we're, we haven't made any progress. But then when you see other people like those parents that are a couple months out and you see where they're at and, and now you can look back and see, I remember being there and you see all the progress you've made. How, how, how have you made that progress? Well, like I said, we, we really through it, we were still working very hard on trying to get legislation passed to um, have teachers, mandatory teacher training, just like we right. have to, you know, we are mandated to take uh, test security you know, to make sure the test is secure and safe and we don't risk the, the validity of testing, it's mandated we train, we have we go through those trainings before the state testing and all that. It's mandated that we go through trainings every year to be able to identify homeless kids, kids that are at risk, of, you know, it's, all of that we want to what, add At what to age the, group of teacher, like what age group of schooling does that start in? Well, it's for I mean talking about for for our legislation. Yes, we're trying to get it. We would love to have it K through twelve, but I think it's probably going to be middle school and high school. So it, like sixth grade on sixth grade and on. But you know, one of the things that we've noticed in the support groups, which has helped us get from where we once were to mm -hmm. where we are now, you know, we were involved in a lot of support groups. Um, what type of support groups? Suicide survivors. Um, uh, there's a the first group I ever attended was a, a a group called Compassionate Friends, 
and it's not suicide specific. It's a it's a organization that's free, um, and they have chart chapters all over the nation. And, you know, there's several chapters in the valley, and it's just um, it's an organization that is non-denominational, but they provide meeting places for people who have lost children by any means you know drowned in a pool car accident cancer you know whatever the case whatever the the met not method but whatever the tragedy was that they lost a child it's a chance for them to come together and talk about those feelings and hear each other's stories and stuff so i was referred to that group right away and, Did um, you and your wife go to these groups, or just you? I went. My wife wasn't ready. My wasn't wife's ready. A, my wife's very introverted. Okay. And um, she she really like she does. She would never do a podcast. Right. I, I shouldn't say never, but um, she would not be comfortable in this setting. Right. Now, if you were to write, like if you were to write, send her questions or something like that, then she she's an author. She would, she's she would answer and publish. Yeah, she would be able to. She's written some beautiful things in regard to grief. And um, so she know, just wasn't ready for that yet. That's she wasn't ready to be in a public setting like that. She was real just like, I'm doing my yoga thing. I'm gonna try to deal with it on my yoga mat and and through my writing and journaling and things like that and and she's got a real which that actually really helps really good too that's another good way to do it oh yeah she's i'm my wife is tough as nails she's from boston she's got that boston strength and uh, (laughs) don't mess with her oh yeah oh no i had to learn that early (laughs) on in our marriage (laughs) you know but no she's she's doing pretty well considering i mean we're right. still you know this will be a lifelong yep this will be a lifelong thing that we deal with i mean because he was our only child and so you know there's it re that you know i always refer to that i, I want to keep coming back to that volume mm-hmm. way of describing traumas because you know um like i'm Forgive me if this is overstepping the line, but I, I I feel like when I when I listen to you talking about your trauma, you had the trauma of the event itself, mm-hmm. and then you've got the traumas of the what if I could have should have yep. would have stuff, and then you have the traumas of everyone and their those comments yeah they re-traumatize they right. you you know um and and there are you know it's a testament to the strength of character you have that. I have to drive by that. Right. I cannot fold because my family relies on me. I have got to somehow get through this. It's still a, you're still re-traumatizing in some ways going past that location. But with the, I I, I don't know. It just feels like. That's not even, that's, you haven't listened to the whole thing. That's not even all of it. Yeah, it just Um, seems like maybe with the right support around you that – because that's how I feel. I mean, I wouldn't be here right now if it weren't for the support that we got from, you know. Well, support's key, right, in PTSD. So so this is the way that uh, 
that it's been explained to me in the way that, that I kind of see PTSD. So you have this traumatic experience. This is, this is the way it was explained to me by, by many counselors. Um, I've spent many hours, <laughs> no, and, that's which good. is, which is awesome. Right. Um, yeah. No, it's good. It, Cause it a is. lot of guys don't No, 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 no. I, you know, um, I, I reluctantly went, um, against the, against the counsel of my father. <laughs> <laughs> He's from old school. Yes. Yeah. And so, um, but the way it was described to me is, is when you have a traumatic experience, your, your mind is like a funnel. And when you have the traumatic experience, the funnel gets clogged and that, and that experience can't go through. And so you keep rehashing it cause you can't, you can't digest it. Mm-hmm. And so you have to learn how to digest it. And then once you digest it now, you've digested it, but you're still, it's still in there and you and it's still part of your, your thinking and, and you still stew on it, if you will. It's still part of you. And so you have to learn how to compartmentalize it. And so, and, and the problem with PTSD is you, uh, what I found is that what I would do is I would, f- I would get ultra focused on that event or that the what if mm-hmm. what if i did this or what if i did? and that's what i do all day is i would think about what if i went to work later or what if i went to work earlier or what if i was in a different lane or what if i was going five mile an hour faster or, or five mile an hour slower and i would go all over all these scenarios and i did this for years right mm-hmm. even though yeah. even though <clears throat> there's no way i could go and change anything and so I would ultra focus on this one event and the, and this, these decisions that I couldn't go back and change, but I wished I could have, and I would play these decisions in my mind and, yeah. but it always led to the same thing because I don't have any other way to do it. Yeah. And so, and, and so I became ultra focused on it. And so what happens, what, what you have to learn how to do, I learned at least what I had to learn how to do. I don't know if this is true with everybody, but with me, what I had to learn how to do is I had to learn how to compartmentalize it and learn how to live with it. So it was taking up so much of my my life or my mind that I didn't have room for anything else. Mm-hmm. I was pushing my family. I was pushing everything away. Like I didn't want to get up in the mornings. I didn't want to. I dreaded going to bed at night because I would dream about it. Mm-hmm. And, and so like I would think about it when I go to bed, I would lay in bed and I wouldn't sleep and I would just think about it. And then when I would finally get so tired that I couldn't stay up any longer, I go to sleep and I would dream about it. And so then when I would wake up, I'd be so tired. I'd be like, man, I just want to go back to sleep, but I can't cause I have to go to work. Mm-hmm. So I get up and oh, then I would yeah. drive past my accident. And then I would think about it all day long. Cause I, I, at the time I drove a truck and I would just think about it all day long. Like, and it was just all day. And so I had to learn how to compartmentalize it. And so what at the time I thought, well, if I could just forget about it. And so I'd focus on trying to forget about it, but you can't forget about it. Oh yeah. You, the more you try to forget about it, the more you focus on it. Mm-hmm. And so it's like a comp- compounding problem and it just gets worse and worse and worse. And so I just got, I just got more, more of an a-hole to my, my wife and kids. I just got worse and worse and worse. And so <clears throat> what eventually what happened is I learned that there was a time that I allowed myself to think about it. 
And then when that time was over, then I would, I would think about other things. And what I found is that I didn't try to not think about it. I just thought about other stuff. Mm -hmm. And so my mind just, it's like an elastic. My mind just got bigger and it allowed other stuff to exist while that existed. And so I still think about it. It's been eight years. I still think, I still think about it every day. Yeah. I don't know how you can't think of, I, you know, because that's for me, I mean, I, here, here's, you know, you mentioned you couldn't sleep. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, I still have tough time sleeping sometimes. Oh yeah, I. Uh, <laughs> and it's and been that, eight years. I think that's part of the trauma, right? I, you know, Mitch couldn't sleep, mm-hmm. and I think that was part. That's a classic sign of PTSD. Yeah, I, I and and you know, and then you know, teenagers, you need your sleep mm-hmm. and and things like that. But since since that night, I, and I'm a, you know. I'm one of those guys that sleeps as soon as my head hits the pillow, man, my lights are out and you know, I'm not waking up until something jolts me awake. But, but ever since that night, um, I wake up within that window of the, of when I woke up that night, because I, you know, um, I woke up at two. I mean, I won't go into two, you know, I, I found him about two, a little bit after two o'clock in the morning, you know, found his note, you know, it was just a weird, I went from what waking woke you up, up. If you really want to be honest with you, I believe his spirit woke me up. I think okay. he was already dead. I think it, it was, I, I, I think he, I think his spirit left his body and came right to me. Um, and I, I, I know that's going to sound all hokey pokey hippy dippy or whatever, but it, it, I, I firmly believe that because throughout his entire life, whenever something scary to him physically happened, he immediately came to me. He'd go to his mom for everything else, you know, like right. if he was just kind of like, well, I want a cookie, mom, you know, or something, you know, those right. little types of things. But like when his tooth came out, Papa, 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 you know, he, for him having dealt with the trauma, that really scared him when his tooth came out. Like, right. You know, and that may sound silly, but again, one person's what, what one person may thinks drama may be that person's trauma related to a previous trauma, you know? Right. So anyway, Anytime there was something big, he would come to me immediately like, you know, like, am I safe? Am I safe? Keep me safe, Dad. Um, oh, <laughs> that just hurt. <laughs> but um, I'm sorry. I don't know. No, no. It's <laughs> this is part of the trauma out of right. nowhere. You know, even yourself will say something and it's just. But um, so at two in the morning. I wake up, I'm wide awake, like thinking it's like, you know how, like you mentioned, I'm like you, like on time is five minutes late, that kind of attitude. And, and I woke up, I thought, and I felt all this energy through my body, just like, holy cow, I had a really great night's sleep kind of thing. Like I must've beat the alarm awake. And I looked at my watch. It was two. 
And so I got up and just thought, well, I'm, I'm, I have so much energy in my body just pulsating through my body. I'm like, you know, I, I'm going to go and get a drink of water. You know, I, I've got another three hours to sleep or whatever. So I walked out to the kitchen, noticed his light was on. And then I found his note and, and then went from, it just, I really felt he guided me through the house and everything to find him so that I really felt he was trying to protect my wife because had my wife found him or seen him, she, I, I don't think she would be mentally coherent. I think she would have literally lost her mind in that, in those moments. And, and I, I, I don't want to be graphic. I'm not, I'm not going to be graphic and I'm going to speed over. I'm going to just skip a whole bunch of things about this, the trauma of that Mm -hmm. evening. But, you know, you mentioned that you can't not think about it and you can't just forget about it and move on. That night changed me on a cellular level because there was a specific moment when his his last breath in his last inhalation was a big deep breath and i know that because i was with him rendering aid you know doing cpr and stuff when his last breath came out I breathed it in and, you know, the smell of it, the taste of it, the burning of it in the back of my neck, you know, just filling my lungs because I gasped at the sound of it. Every cell in my body was like, I, I, it, 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 to try to describe it, it, it just, A, my adrenal glands were I'm, you know, I, I just everything was so amplified, and then that moment with his breath, it was like every single tiny cell in my body just were stretched to the max, and then just shattered like glass is the best way I could describe the feeling internally. Um, because as I say, before that moment, the adrenal glands were, I mean, you know, I competed at the, yeah, I've competed right. at a national championships. I've competed in China at an international sports exchange event. I mean, you know, within the realm of sports, I've had those amped up adrenal glands pumped up like energy really pulsating. Though All of those combined can't even come close to the amount of amped up adrenal that was going on when I came around the house and found him, you know, saw him hanging there and, and, and get him down and all of that. But that, that moment when I inhaled his last breath fundamentally changed me on a cellular level. And, um, what that means going forward, I I still don't know. I'm still trying to get a grip on that. I struggle with it very deeply. Um, 
I, but that, to me, that was like you said before on the volume meter, that was, you know, right. One to 10, I was at 30, you know, like it blew the speakers out. Um, there's no way, you, I, you know, I use the example of like shattered glass. There's no way I'm going to be able to ever glue those pieces back together and have them be the way they were before. Right. And, and, um, you know, I'm, I'm struggling. I, I, I mean, I, I, I'm getting better at, because of my friend, the, the guy who, earned those two silver stars. Um, his name's Troy. I, I could probably say that much and not right. disrespect his story or him. Uh, I love the guy. Uh, he's, he's a brother. I mean, you know, does he live here? Where does he live? He lives in Ohio. Hmm. He's one of my college teammates. And, and you know, the, it wasn't just the support from the people here in the Valley. I mean, my college teammates were rock stars, man. They, and still are to this day. Um, and they're helping me cope with these things. He, he was huge, you know, of you have to identify, like I said, you know, I, I felt embarrassed to tell him, you know, and I, I said that to him, I'm like, you know, Troy, I'm so embarrassed to say this to you, but they're telling me I have PTSD. He didn't hesitate a second. He's like, heck yeah, you've got it. And here's what to expect. Yep. This, this, that, you know, and he went through yep. this list and he And you're said, like, check, I have that, check, I have that, check, oh, yeah. I have that. <laughs> yeah, and, and he was, yep. uh, honestly, he was probably more help than the counselor I was going to because he right. said, he, he shared a story of, of post, of, of an incident that happened after the trauma, obviously, that, you know, he's like, it's all about catching it as fast as you can right. and doing some breathing and some mental focusing things before you before it gets a hold of you and it's recognizing your triggers exactly right it's yeah. recognizing your triggers and being able and, to and being able to turn them off before or not turn them off but being able to recognize them and change your physical reaction yeah. and then and and yep. that was that has been i mean it took me so long to re- and I'm so blessed. I'm so blessed because he. It was fairly early on that he gave me that gift right. of knowledge. And and yeah, you were real fortunate to have oh, a lot of advice you got. I am alive today because of the gifts these people <laughs> gave me. I and I. I'm not. That's not an exaggeration. It's not hyperbole. Right. Because um, there are days I don't want to live. Yep. And I've had all of this support and it just, you know, you doing this podcast is such good work, you know, because, you know, I alluded to well, this Selfishly, earlier. I do it for me, but it's for other people too. But well, I, I get a lot out of it. I do it because I get a lot out of it. I feel like I get more than anyone else does, but I've but been told by a lot of people that they, but they, that they get a lot out of it also so i i think of all those men who are old school that are like you never talk to a counselor just you know (laughs) rub dirt in it and get over it good thing i'm not a counselor (laughs) yeah yeah but you know you just don't talk about it kind of stuff well man swallow it yeah that is not a good it's not a good solution no because that's kind of why we're in this the, the issue we're in right now with uh 
with uh, some people. So yeah, it's it's bad. I you know. So anyway, you know, to get back to the thing, I, you know, I have my triggers. Um, Halloween's coming up, and I have to buoy myself to prepare that at any moment driving down a street or a neighborhood or going into a store that Halloween decorations may depict a hanging. Right. And, you know, um, I have to be, you know, I grew up on the Clint Eastwood spaghetti westerns, you right. know, hang them high and high plains drifter. and means something different now, though. Oh, it's, I, you know, it, and I made them, I've, it's, it, I, there are triggers. I mean, I, yep. I can tell you of a specific time we went to the movies to see, um, oh gosh, it was a Christian's. Christian Bale Western. Um, it had one name. It had one word as the title. Um, I can't help you there. I yeah, never saw it. I, I, it, it, <laughs> you know, it was a good movie. It was a really good movie. They did it really well, but there was a sudden like they're riding their horses and bang, there's somebody hanging from a tree, and I'm I am instantly in the in the theater. I'm putting my hands over my head right. and I'm crying like instant from I'm perfectly fine to yep. sobbing. And the people, you know, of course my wife knew and she would put her hand on my leg and, and was supportive because it, she didn't see any of that. Right. So she's, she was protected from that. So that doesn't affect her like it does you. No, not at all. That's excellent for her. Um, yeah, and that's why I say I really feel that Mitch came to me to protect to, her. To got, and and I could get into more details about that. Why I believe that, but I, you know, that's I, for another just, time. Yeah, that's a different place. But <laughs> but you know, here I am in this theater, and I'm instantly crying, and you know, people of two seats over in the same row are. All of a sudden, really uncomfortable. You know, right. here's a grown man. I'm 50 years old, and I'm crying like a child, and um, which I shouldn't say it that way. But uh, you know, here I'm crying in a movie theater, out of the blue, and you know, I become aware that they're staring at me like, you know, Ooh, what's yeah. wrong with this guy? Do we need to like run out of the theater, kind of thing? And I'm like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And then. You could, I could tell that they grasped that, they they connected the dots, you know, like not any details, but like, okay, wait a minute, this isn't right. All right, that's, you know, but, you know, I've had to leave stores, mm -hmm. you know, I I've had to go, you know, tell to my wife we were in Tombstone, and just seeing a noose on the back of a shirt, all of a sudden I'm like. I got to get out of here. I got to get right. out of here. I, I cannot be in here. Um, you know, I, but I'm getting better at being able to avoid that to a degree, but there's some things you can't avoid. I mean, you know, avoidance is never good. Yeah. I mean, I, I will give you that. I will give you that. Um, I don't look, I don't um, look to, don't look for it, but scenes, don't avoid but, it. If it, if it comes up, um, don't avoid it because avoidance is 
it's never a good thing. Yeah. Uh, now I, I don't say go looking for it though. Yeah. I, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, uh, since you haven't listened to my whole, my whole spiel. So I had my accident <clears throat> in the next, uh, two to three years. Um, I witnessed before any emergency medical vehicles got there. I witnessed eight fatalities. Eight? Eight in oh, and the one next accident? No, no, no. No, eight separate fatality accidents. You're kidding me. In the next two to three years. So, um, and the, <sighs> wow. And that was before any medical vehicles could get there. You first on the scene, yeah. Yeah. And, and it's, I wasn't looking for it. It just happened. I drove so much. Yeah. Um, and in fact, this past, so my accident happened on April 27th. This past April 27th, I saw a fatal accident on that day right next to my house. Holy so, mackerel. Um, and that just brings it right back, doesn't it? Or, uh, or not, not anymore. Really? Uh, the more, the more that you, the more you expose yourself to it, the less the trigger affects you. So uh, that's one thing that, that my counselor told me. Um, avoidance is one of the signs of PTSD. You want to avoid. So I, I wanted to avoid people uh, because the experiences that I had with people was them wanting to ask questions. I had experiences where people want to ask me gory details about my accident. Yeah. You know, yeah, I've had where that. did you run him over? Um, what did he look like? Yeah. You yeah. Um, did you know, you know, I've had gory details about the accident that I'm not comfortable sharing, but I have those details mm-hmm. and it made me very uncomfortable. And so it, it got me to the point where I didn't want to have contact with people because I didn't, I wanted to avoid those conversations. And so avoidance came into effect where I would literally come into church in the building and I would see people down the hall and they would see me and start walking towards me and I would turn and go into a room into the gym or something, go to avoid them. Your sanctuary, right? Find sanctuary somewhere. I would, I would actually go to through the gym into, into the other side of the building to avoid them. I would specifically avoid people. So I didn't have to talk to them. Mm -hmm. Um, I would, I would just avoid people at all costs because I didn't want to have conversations with them. And I remember talking to my counselor about it and she would say, she would tell me, you can't avoid people. You have to, you can't avoid avoiding is bad. I'm like, well then I don't have to talk to them. Yeah. <laughs> and she's like, you have to learn how to not avoid them. What, why do you want to avoid them? I, Cause I don't want to have conversations with them because they're asking me all these things that are doing these things. And, and you know, and I tell her why I didn't want it. And she's like, okay, so you avoid him this time. And then when you see him, you're going to have the same conversation. So what, what, what good is it? You're going to, eventually you're going to have to have the conversations with them. Eventually you're going to, so you might as well, you might as well learn to deal with it. You know, early in, it's, and it's, I know it's tough. I, I understand it's tough. Well, I'm glad you said that because I'm thinking, you know, I mean, obviously we're just talking right now and I, right. I you know, I'm, I'm not telling you to go search rambling, out from my t- rambling. You can tell this was not a written out <laughs> thing. You know, it's just me rambling, but you know, I'm glad you said that because the, the gory details early on, I was sharing those gory details to the point where my wife was like, I can't, you, if I'm in the room, you cannot share right. that. It's it's really causing me a lot of hurt. 
And on my side, I was like, f- for me, I was struggling with 